because it's I, easier if you start all over. Okay. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> okay. Four, three, two, one. Hello, friends of the river. Well, I'm so grateful to have the means of technology to be able to speak to you today. I I still miss your beautiful smiles, your worshipful singing voices, and your warm hugs. And who would have known that our bustling lives would have come to such a screeching halt just two weeks ago? And who knows again when we're going to be able to enter back into community? Well, God knows, that's for sure. But in the meantime, our phones, our tablets, our computers have become our relational lifelines. And I suspect that not only will this period of social isolation continue for much longer than we think, but also that our world will never quite be the same. I think what we're experiencing is going to change us, and it's going to change our generation. One thing we never imagined when we started the river study in the books of James and Peter was that we wouldn't be able to complete the year together. But you know, it, it wasn't a surprise to God. In fact, I remember how clearly I felt God leading me to choose James and Peter for us to study this year. And clearly, God was leading you to sign up for this study because this was our biggest river class ever. We had nearly 500 women in between the AM class and the PM class and a few distance learners. It was no mistake that you came to Bible study, that you signed up for these two letters this year. In fact, think back for a moment about what we've been learning. Remember, James and Peter have been challenging us to grow up in our faith. These letters were written, as you remember, to believers who were dispersed out of their homes in Rome and out into the communities in Asia Minor. They were living as exiles, and they were enduring great suffering, and they had a whole variety of hardships that they were facing. But James and Peter had been challenging them to choose faith. When things were hard, they were being challenged to, to do the right thing in the midst of chaos and confusion. It actually mattered, if you remember, that they press into their faith, that in times of trouble, because people were watching them, people were looking to see who this Savior was that they were worshiping and what it meant to be a Christian. You know what? Now here we are. We're living as exiles from our communities. We are exiled from our jobs, our schools, our neighbors, our churches, our sports teams, our friends, and our extended family members. We're captive in our homes. We're sequestered away from all of the freedom that we used to have just a few weeks ago to move about. Um, we're in a state of shared suffering as we're going through a time of global pandemic. Tensions are rising as people are feeling scared. They're scared about getting sick. They're scared about losing someone that they love. Many have already lost their jobs. They're watching their stock portfolios go down. Their savings accounts dwindle away. You know, we're all struggling to get the basic necessities of life, which is crazy. I don't understand the toilet paper thing. But the reality is we don't know when this is all going to end or how many people will get sick and die before it does. Just a month ago, life for all of us was full steam ahead, and now everything has changed. But God... God has been working behind the scenes of our lives to prepare us for this moment. Let me just remind you of the things that he has been speaking to us in the book of James. Will you grab your Bibles and just, just let me show you how he has been working to prepare us for such a time as this. Just go back to James. Open up your Bibles to chapter 1. Let's just look at verses 2 through 4 to start. 
He said, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. <laughs> now, little did we know what kind of trial was awaiting us, um, but God has already prepared us to, to choose joy in the midst of trials. I know for myself, I am, I am seeking every day to, to choose to live in joyful anticipation of how God is going to use this trial in my own life for good, to strengthen my faith. How are you finding joy in the midst of this trial as you're choosing fear over faith over fear and being constant in your trust in God? Look now at James 1, verses 5 through 6. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Praise God for teaching us to trust in his wisdom, to ask in faith. You know, his wisdom keeps us anchored in the storm, so we aren't tossed about by the world's wisdom. You know, the world's wisdom is changing daily, and we know it's also tainted with ulterior motives. How are you asking and receiving God's wisdom for your life and for your circumstances today? Look at verses 19 through 20 in, in verse one, chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Well, praise God for teaching us this truth before we were all sequestered in close quarters with family and friends under tense circumstances. You know, he taught us the importance of listening to one another and of choosing our responses rather than reacting to each other in anger. Anyone finding that a challenge? Stress can bring out the worst in us. And God has already reminded us that we need to behave righteously and not react in rage. Turn over to chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Our human nature might want to lash out at other people at a time when we're experiencing such great frustration. But the Lord reminds us that we can pray. We can receive everything that we need from him to, to tame our passions and to respond in grace to one another. Are you feeling a, a rising sense of emotion as you're engaging with the people around you? You know, everyone is tense, I've noticed, and that tension brings out different responses in different people. How might you be a balm of God's grace and help provide comfort and calm to the people around you? James reminded us that prayer is the secret. We'll then look down at verses 13 and 14 in chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, when we study this passage, honestly, I don't think we ever dreamed that tomorrow wouldn't just roll around like yesterday did. 
I mean, did we seriously consider a world where our plans wouldn't just unfold the way that we had ordained them? You know, our plans to take vacations, our plans for family celebrations, our goals for vocational accomplishments, our proms, our graduations, our weddings, our funerals. You know, God's word is truth, and he's been teaching us to place each day in his hands rather than holding on to each day tightly in our own fists. And now we're living this out. Look at James 5, 13 through 16. This is so interesting because, remember, James ended with an exhortation for us to pray for the sick. Listen to what he says. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Isn't that interesting? Because we're living in a world right now where where more and more people are getting sick with COVID-19. In the weeks ahead, there'll be more people who get sick. And God has prepared us for this moment. He has told us what to do. He said we are to pray. We pray in faith, knowing that there is actually great power in our prayers because of our righteous standing before God in Christ. Honestly, I'm astonished as I walk through these verses in James and realize that God has been speaking his word into our lives for such a time as this. He's been calling us to greater faith. He knows, he knew that suffering was just coming ahead for us. And he has been giving us his wisdom and his truth to anchor ourselves on him and to weather this storm by his grace together. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And now as we march through first and second Peter, we're just going to be encouraged to see all the more how God's revelations are, are so pertinent to our circumstances. And he gives us particular applications for how to live out these days. Um, in the first few chapters of, of 1 Peter, God has already been focusing our minds on the person of Jesus Christ. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-8, through 8, he reminded us that we were born again to a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In 1 Peter 1, 13-21, he challenged us to be obedient to the word. Remember he said to be holy as he is holy. In 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25, this is incredible. Remember, he was challenging us to submit to to authorities. Specifically, he was challenging us to submit to our human institutions who have been put in place for our protection. This is what we're living right now. We are are following the, the guidelines and the mandates of our human institutions that have put things in place for our own protection. God prepared us for this moment. He also reminded us about the importance of suffering well um, for righteousness' sake, the way that Christ suffered on our behalf. That was in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22. Well, now he's going to instruct us how to be instruments of God's grace to each other as we're going through a hard time. God's word is life to us. And all praise and glory to him for telling us how to walk through trials by faith and for assuring us that he is working his divine purposes in and through all things right here and right now. Now today, 
you're, you're going to turn to lesson number 19 in your workbook, and we're going to talk about 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you're watching through the church website, you'll find the PowerPoint right below in the notes section. And um, But I just want to encourage you, I'm not going to put all the scripture up there for you because I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to walk through this with me with the word of God in your hand. We're going to contemplate all that Peter has to share with us through 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Peter's talking to us today about suffering and he's reminding us that we are instruments of God's grace to the people around us. Today, what we're going to learn is that Christ-like suffering changes our character and challenges us to live as instruments of God's grace. Christ-like suffering changes our character and challenges us to live as instruments of God's grace. The first six verses, we're going to see how suffering changes us, actually changes us to be more like Jesus. And then in verses 7 through 11, we're going to see how suffering challenges us. It challenges us to extend love and grace to other people. What an incredible opportunity we have right now in this time of universal suffering to be instruments of God's grace to the people around us. I just want to pray for a moment before we jump in. Father, we need your understanding of our times, of our calling, and of this passage. And I just pray right now that you would open our hearts to receive from you and you would choose my words, that my words would come out of my mouth and be translated into the, the ears of each listener, and that we would hear from you just what we want to hear from you today. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to follow and to grow in faith through this amazing part of Scripture that you've given for us to contemplate today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, now you want to open to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's interesting because 1 Peter 4 opens with the word, therefore. So as we've learned, when we see a therefore, we've got to go back to chapter 3 to see what the therefore is there for. So turn back to chapter 3. This is what we were studying before spring break. And Peter explained at that, in that chapter that Christ suffered and died for sin once and for all. And so believers, therefore, should also be prepared to suffer. Um, just like the nature, it's just the nature of life as a Christ follower. Christians are going to suffer because Christ suffered. But of course, Peter was saying to us back in chapter 3 that if we're going to suffer, make sure that we're suffering for good um, so that we can be a witness to the people who are watching our lives, the people all around us. We don't want to be suffering the consequences of doing wrong. We want to at least be suffering for the, for the results of doing something good and honoring to God. But now Peter is highlighting a different aspect of suffering, namely that suffering can change our attitudes towards sin. When we're under the heat of suffering, it actually has a way of changing how we think about sin. So let's look at what he has to say. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Did you notice that Peter began by saying, arm yourselves? This is a military term. This is battle language. Peter is envisioning a soldier who puts on his armor, who picks up his sword and is ready for battle. Because the reality is that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. 
and it's truly intensified for those who belong to Christ. As Christ followers, we've talked about this. We already know that we have three enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all three of these enemies are constantly at work to try to entice us into sin. But because Christ suffered and died for all of our sins, for once and for all, we are actually now free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. It's, it's eternal separation from God. But there's more than that. We are also, we also now have the ability to experience putting on the spiritual weaponry that Christ provides for us and experiencing power over the temptation to sin. Now, we know, of course, that we never cease from sinning. Um, when we receive Christ in our sa- as our Savior, it doesn't mean that we never sin again. That's, that's actually not true. We will battle with sin our entire, entire lives. But we should be sinning less as we experience the power of Christ in us to resist temptation and to go to work in the inward desires of our spirits to change our desires from the inside out, to give us desires for holiness and for righteousness rather than the previous kinds of desires we had before Christ, which were for lawlessness, for debauchery and sin. Now, we know, too, that temptation is often greater in times of hardship So Peter exhorts those who are in Christ, he's exhorting believers, not to return to old patterns of thinking and old patterns of behavior, not to return to our life before Christ. And the reason for that is that Christ suffered on a cross. He suffered to conquer the power of sin and death on our behalf. So now actually we can suit up with this kind of armor and we can resist the enticement to sin in times of suffering. Now we know too in times of suffering that's when we're most vulnerable to sin. But we have a choice. We have the armament of Christ to resist temptation and sin. Now what are these sins that that Peter's referring to? In verse 3, he lists these sins. They're the sins of the, of the pagan Gentiles. As He's listing these as an example of what um, unbelievers do before they come to faith in Christ. So he says sensuality. That means debauchery. Indulgence in sexual sins without shame or restraint. Passions. Those are lustful human desires, unable to control impulses. Drunkenness. Well, we know that's excessive drink. Orgies, that's drunken parties that involve sexual promiscuity. Drinking parties, well, that's being drunk and out of control in a community of other people. And then lawless idolatry, basically all of the previous things that he listed, these were practices of how the Gentiles actually engaged in worshiping their idols. And so he talks about these are things associated with idol worship to pagan gods. But I was thinking about this season of quarantine that we're in and and how this might be impacting people in our world today who battle with secret sins, secret sins that they're not really able to keep secret any longer. I was thinking of those who have sexual addictions and how challenging it is to maintain a sexual addiction when you're surrounded 24-7 by family or by roommates I was thinking of those who are dependent on alcohol to relax, to remove stress. And and I've been reading notices on the Nextdoor app of people calling out to each other to get more alcohol or to get an alcohol run. Um, Excessive shopping is more difficult and less satisfying when it's all online. Excessive exercise is more difficult when there's not a gym to go and escape to. Adulterous affairs are harder to maintain when it's impossible to meet up somewhere. 
buying excessive food if you've got a sin of gluttony is, is more difficult when grocery stores are, are hard places to enter and gather a lot of goods. You know, reports are coming in these days that suicide hotline calls are way up as people, they're just getting flooded with desperate calls from people. And the police reports are, are the police are reporting that there are more domestic violence calls. Um, for many, this time of suffering that we're experiencing is going to generate behavior that causes even more suffering when COVID-19 passes. But for the believer, the suffering of being quarantined at home also has the potential to stir up desires from the old life. And this might arise out of fear or anxiety or depression or frankly, even from boredom. And so Peter warns you and me, he warns us to suit up for battle, to don't give yourself over to the passions of your flesh, but align yourself with the will of God. And as you do, he says, and as you do, there's going to be a different kind of suffering for you. It's not going to be the suffering of sin, but it's actually going to be the suffering of rejection from your unbelieving friends and family who will criticize you for not joining in on their revelry. They'll want you to participate in their mind-numbing activities that are designed to release this pressure of the pain that they're feeling, and they'll resent your dependence upon the Lord and your desire to rely on him in prayer. Listen to what Peter says in verse 4. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, verse 6 is a bit confusing, but I believe what Peter is referring to is he's referring to the people in his time who had believed in the gospel, who had received salvation, but then had died. And he's saying they died just like everyone dies, but now they are living in the spirit with God. The point is that, that God is our final judge, and one day we will all give account to him for our lives. So what matters most is actually not what other people think of us. What matters most is what God thinks of us. And when the heat of suffering is turned up really hot, it's so important that we persist in our faith and our obedience to the will of God and not succumb to the temptations of our flesh or the pressures of people around us who want to lure us into sin. We live for an audience of one. The truth I see here is that suffering can strengthen our resolve to be more like Christ. Suffering can strengthen our resolve to be more like Christ. Pain avoidance can lead to sin. But when we suffer with our eyes on Jesus and we resolve to apply the word of God to our circumstances, our suffering will in fact cause us to obey God all the more. Let me just ask you, how is the pressure you are under right now tempting you to return to old attitudes and behaviors? You know, do you find that you're, you're lashing out more easily in anger or you're, you're reaching for more comfort food to, to calm yourself? Maybe you're exercising excessively out of your home or you're finding yourselves really distracted from all of those spiritual disciplines that kept you tethered to God. You know, the discipline of reading the word in the morning or praying. Do you find that you're really prone to laziness? You know, that everything's shut down, so oh well, you'll just kind of hang out on the couch or maybe you're numbing out on Netflix or other forms of entertainment. 
No, this, I, I want to encourage you that this can be a time of growth in your faith. God has been at work in our lives for the last six months to grow us in our faith. And now we have such an opportunity to apply these truths to our lives. How would you like to grow in your dependence on God during this time? What portion of scripture could speak comfort into your heart? What sermons or podcasts might you listen to during this time as words of encouragement to your soul? How will you arm yourself for the battles that you are facing? How might this time of suffering actually build spiritual strength for your soul? I want to encourage you to be intentional. Make a plan. Be strategic. Trust that God has already been working behind the scenes of our lives to prepare you and I for this moment. Well, next, Peter challenges us to be instruments of grace in each other's lives during difficult times. Peter continues in verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I think that's a pretty incredible verse to read just about now. Peter's reminding his readers that our time on earth is short and that Christ can come back at any time. Now, the first century believers, they expected him to come back in their lifetime. They fully expected that when they saw him ascend up into heaven, that he was coming right back. So they lived in this constant sense of expectation that Jesus was coming back. Little did they know that at least 2,000 years would pass before he would return. But for every generation, Christians have lived with the expectation that Christ was coming back. And to live with that expectation means to live with a sense of readiness. Now, given the drama of recent events, I have to say, I feel like that time might be nearer than I was anticipating. I mean, we know we're living in the last days. The Bible tells us that. The Bible also instructs us that, that really wild things will happen in the last days. We're looking at all kinds of wild things in our world, volcanoes blowing and earthquakes, and, and we're looking at global warming and ice caps melting and worldwide pandemics. If we were reading this in scripture, we would say, yes, those are signs of the last days. So how shall we prepare ourselves for these times? Peter tells us that we're to be self-controlled and clear-minded. Now, to be clear-minded means the opposite of being crazy and insane or being drunk. When we're clear-minded, it means that we're living with realistic expectations that God is at work and Jesus is preparing to return. Now, when we're under stress, what happens is that we can tend to act impulsively. We can tend to react. We can tend to forget all that we know from Scripture, and we can begin to panic instead. It's really easy to feel out of control and afraid in times of suffering. And that's why Scripture tells us over and over again that we're to pray Turn, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Let me read it for you. It says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." Another great passage is Matthew 26, verse 41. Here is where Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane that they were to pray, to watch and pray. He said in verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
You know what's so interesting about these verses? Peter learned this lesson the hard way. When he was tasked in the Garden of Gethsemane to stay awake and to pray for Jesus, it was he was in the garden on that night that Jesus was betrayed. Instead of staying awake and praying, he actually fell asleep. And then when those soldiers came, he was not prepared. He was not armed against the temptation to lash out in anger. So instead, he whipped out his sword and he cut off that guard's ear. And it would have completely accelerated the suffering of Jesus had Jesus not immediately reached in and healed that guard's ear and calmed the situation. Peter knew how important it was in times of difficulty and suffering to, to watch and pray so you can be armed against the temptation to lash out and to react. If we don't remain alert and prayerful, we won't be prepared for the troubles ahead as the return of Christ draws near. Peter goes on with an instruction then for how are we to treat each other as we face this time of suffering together. He says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if there's three things that he is telling us are ways that we can serve one another during hard times. The first, he says, is be earnest in your love for one another. Um, that word earnest actually means fervent, and the word fervent pictures an athlete straining for the finish line all the way to the end because love requires perseverance. And Jesus said that in the last days, he said, most people's love will grow cold. And Paul told Timothy that in the last days, people would be lovers of self, not lovers of God. So Peter's reminding us to press into our relationships and to love one another fervently. And this means forgiving those who have hurt you and covering over the inflictions of sin with love. The second thing he says is be hospitable to one another. Hospitality comes in all different forms. You know, it's, it's not always about having people over to your home, preparing a nice dinner, having candles and flowers. That, that's one way of hospitality. But hospitality is really a focus on people. And it can happen anywhere. In this strange season and time in which we're living, hospitality can be expressed with a smile and a wave to your neighbors. It can be a conversation across the six-foot span of social distancing. Uh, it can be taking time with someone to look, to listen, to care, to provide for the needs of another person. When life gets stressful, we can feel taxed, and it's easy to feel like we don't have what it takes for one more person who needs something from us. But Peter is reminding us that we are to attend to each other without complaining. And then the third thing, he says, is to serve one another. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift from God. And a spiritual gift is a, is a talent or an ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. So the way that we can best serve and love one another in times of suffering is to use the gifts that God has already given us to continue building up his church and furthering the work of the gospel in our community. 
Now, there are lots of different gifts listed in various passages of Scripture, and I've put a chart in the notes section so you can look. I'll quickly run through them if you don't want to look at the notes. Um, from Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, he talks about word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpreting languages. In Ephesians 4.11, he talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then Peter here talks about speaking and serving. Now, if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, and you've got some time, which I'm guessing you do, go online, find a, a spiritual gift assessment, and pray and ask God to give you discernment to know how God has designed you to be an instrument of his love and grace in the church. You know, our spiritual gifts are not only meant to be a blessing to our community, but they are meant to give, bring glory to God, to God be the glory. And this is why I believe Peter concludes this little passage with a benediction. He says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The truth is, you have an opportunity today to be an instrument of God's grace in someone's life. You have an opportunity today to be an instrument of grace in someone's life. In this season of darkness, how has God given you his light to shine before others? You know, someone within your reach needs a word of truth and encouragement today. Someone within your reach needs a listening ear or a smile. Someone needs a FaceTime call. Someone needs to be reminded that God loves them and God is near. I think about this passage, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, when Jesus said this to believers. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, I believe with all my heart that God has been preparing us for this season the past six months. He has fueled us with his truth so that we can shine his glory in these days of darkness. So I want to challenge you. How will you embrace this time of suffering as an opportunity to grow in your faith and to care for the people around you? How might God be glorified as we, his people, use our gifts to shine his light into the spiritual darkness of our world? How might that be? Let me pray as I close. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for how you have spoken your word into our hearts to prepare us for such a time as this. You have given us everything we need to trust in you and to be ready and equipped to stand firm in our faith, to be mature in Christ and to have gifts to give and to share with people around us. You have made us to be light in this darkness. And I pray that you would show each one of us how we might shine forth today to God's glory, the reality of, of our relationship with you in a way that encourages others and shares the grace and the love that you have for them. Thank you for your good gifts to us. We ask that you multiply them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 
Enjoy your lessons, and I will look forward to seeing you next week.